Okay, great. Uh, let's get started. So, welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Heikki Verta. Uh, I, I work for Supercell. I lead the services team there. there. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about uh, scaling our mobile games uh, and, and our analytics. But uh, before we start, uh, could you raise your hand if you, if you work in the gaming industry? Okay, cool, cool. That's uh, more than half. Uh, I, I gave this sim similar talk like a week ago and asked the same question, and out of 100 people, there was like eight <laughs> from the gaming industry. Uh, but, uh, but don't worry, even if you are not from the gaming industry, this is a, this is a general, general presentation which, which is applicable to, uh, to, uh, to your domain as well, I hope. Uh, yeah, my, uh, my background is, is, is in, is in uh, ser server development. I, I used to work for Unity uh, before joining uh, Supercell and Futuremark, it's a sort of niche benchmarking company uh, before that, and then, of course, uh, of course Nokia. Been, been at the industry for, for something like 15, 20 years. Uh, but let's get, let's get, uh, let's get going. I, I roughly have three topics uh, that I want to cover today. And, and I'll start with the Supercell sort of team structure and culture part. And, and that's because uh, it sort of has implications on, on how we do things. Uh, so I want to cover that, that uh, first. Then I'll talk about scaling our, our games. Uh, and, and then uh, on, the, uh, on, the, on the second half about analytics. But uh, let's start first with a, with a quick intro about the company. So we are a mobile games company founded in 2010 in Helsinki. Uh, we have uh, offices in, in, in Helsinki, Shanghai, San Francisco, Tokyo, and, and Seoul. Uh, game development happens in Helsinki, but also, also uh, so in Helsinki, and, and, and there's a small team in Shanghai as well. Right now, we have uh, four games. Uh, live, uh, you can see some of the characters there. There's uh, Clash of Clans, Clash Royale, Heyday, and Boom Beach. And actually, pretty soon, uh, there's a fifth game coming up called Brawl Stars. Uh, it's in soft launch now, uh, but, but we're going we're gonna to launch it globally soon. It's a, it's a new kind of game for us. It's a 3v3 MOBA sort of real-time uh, battle game. Which, is, which has some interesting implications on the server side as well. On, on, on sort of to give you the background, so on a, on a super high level, this is, this is sort of the challenge, challenge we are facing. We're going to have five games with hundreds of millions of active users. Uh, at peak times, we see some four million concurrent users. We run approximately 6,000 EC2 instances on, 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 on AWS. And scale to those are all kinds of different instance types. So scale to uh, the X large capacity. It's something around 20,000 instances. Uh, we also run lots of databases. So I'll talk about that. Our games are run on MySQL and uh, on, on EC2. We run something like 300 databases uh, with a master and two slaves. So that's a, that's a lot of machines as well. But the company actually is, is, is pretty small. We are a 250-people company. Uh, our teams are also pretty small. So in a live game teams, team, there's approximately 20 people. And out of those 20 people, 
free our server developers. So that our challenge obviously is, is, is how do we operate and de develop our games at this scale with so few engineering efforts, uh, resources. And, and, and that's, uh, that's where we come to the culture part. So basically we believe that, this is a super condensed version, uh, so we believe that the, the, the best teams make the best games. So our teams are cross-functional and vertically aligned. So that means there's a, a server developer, client developer, QA person, game designer, artist, uh, data scientist, everybody at the, sa at the same team. So we're not uh, spread out sort of horizontally by function, but by product. Uh, these teams are actually also super small, as I mentioned, something like uh, 20 people. They, we also work sort of uh, bottom up, not top, top down. So, so there's very little top down management. The teams are the top level entity, not senior management. The teams, they are fully trusted to own uh, and execute their own vision. So they have a high degree of independence, but of course, responsibility as well. So they're responsible for making the best decisions for Supercell and especially the hardest ones. In a nutshell, we sort of optimize for passion and speed, not control. And if I'd had to put this in, in sort of one word, I think it would be agile. So, and agile in, a, in the software development sense, but applied to the whole company. The implications of this, of course, on the AWS side is that since the teams are super independent, they also own their own AWS accounts. Uh, the top level structure there as well is by product, uh, not by service like uh, service. The environments are, are mostly split by uh, split into separate accounts, but of course there's billing support and all of that that's, that's consolidated. Uh, the team, there is no separate operations team. So the teams practice DevOps. Uh, they set up, maintain, and operate their own cloud resources, and all server developers participate in the on-call rotation. The teams are free to choose their own tech stack, so we don't have a quote-unquote supercell platform that the teams have to use. Uh, in practice, though, as we have sort of a battle-tested uh, environment, uh, it's sort of, the, the game environments are pretty similar. There's differences here and there, but overall they're pretty, pretty uh, similar, and, 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 and what that looks like you'll, you'll see soon. Uh, the variation is, is more great, uh, is greater than in, in, in the other functions like analytics, machine learning, support, anti-fraud, live ops, and stuff like that. An important part is also that, that we use AWS managed services to reduce our ops burden. So, so we are not cloud agnostic in that sense. Uh, we, we believe that, uh, that, that that's something, if, if, if uh, we come to that bridge that, that we wanna switch providers, we'll, we'll cross it when we get there. So we, we, we try to minimize our own ops burden now by, by leveraging the, the managed services that AWS provides. But that, that's, uh, that's sort of the, the super high level background. Let's, let's dig into the games. Uh, and 
just uh, to, to, to kick things off, this is the super, super high level uh, game stack. Very similar, very traditional client server. So there's a, uh, there's a OpenGL C++ uh, client that runs our own engine, communicates with the server using a custom binary protocol over TCP and UDB. Uh, the server is implemented in Java, uh, and we also use Zookeeper to manage the cluster. The databases are running MySQL uh, on EC2, so we started before RDS and all of that, so, so our deployment is actually still on, on EC2 instances with the Percona flavor of, of, of MySQL inst installed there by ourselves. We also use, uh, in, in the newer game, uh, Brawl Stars, we are using RDS Aurora, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, and then we also use DynamoDB for, for, for some data sets like the replays and, and stuff like this. So, so let's, uh, let's uh, talk about how do we scale that stack. And I think it sort of comes, to, uh, comes down to this. So scaling in the cloud is about scaling out, not up. So not a bigger machine, a bigger machine, and a bigger machine, but more, more machines. And the, I actually believe that the sort of technology and the algorithms you use matter much less uh, than the overall architecture of your system. But okay, fine, so, so how, how do we enable this? For us, it, it comes down to two things. First of all, uh, a microservice architecture. That's for the business logic of the game cluster and then the sharding of the database layer. That's for the persistence layer. And uh, if we take a look at the microservice part first or the game cluster deployment first, so the games are split into services. So instead of a single monolithic application, uh, the, the game uh, cluster is, is split into independent services like uh, proxies, home containers, uh, battle containers, account directories. There's, there's something like, I know the guys, guys, guys know the exact number, but there's something like 15, 15 different kind of, of services. These run on different instances, of course, and communicate over the network. But it's, it's not like a true microservice architecture in that sense, so I'd, I'd actually call it a microservices light architecture because the game is developed as a single artifact. It has one repository, one uh, programming language, that's Java, and one team. So it, in that sense, it's not a traditional microservice architecture, maybe more like a distributed, distributed architecture. And the way we scale out that architecture splits into two dimensions. So the first is Amazon easy to auto scaling that handles the scaling of the actual easy to instances. Then the other direction is Zookeeper, which is a, a open source server for coordinating distributed applications that handles the different roles that the servers then take in the game cluster. And we need to do this, so, so in, a, in, a, in a traditional web application, you, you normally don't have these two dimensions. You, you, uh, you can get, get pretty far with, uh, with auto-scaling as well by pushing all your state away uh, from your servers. But actually, in, in, in gaming, it's all about state. So when you're 
when you're uh, interacting with the game, you're constantly making changes. So there's a lot of writes. So uh, most of our, most of our server, server load is actually writes. So there's a lot of caching, and that means there's state everywhere. So the state lives all around the cluster. And for that, we need coordination. And that means zookeeper. So on, 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 uh, on one side, the, the autoscaling groups the instances by instance type and security group. And then on the other, zookeeper assigns them, them roles. And so, so what happens when the load increases, uh, the autoscale, there's a bunch of coordinating software in the cluster that scales the, uh, instru instructs the autoscaling groups to increase the number of EC2 instances. When those instances come online, they boot into a sort of hot spare state and compete for a role uh, from Zookeeper. And then Zookeeper increases the amount, uh, number of roles. For example, let's say battle containers. So instead of 50, now we need 55. And then those new EC2 instances compete for those roles and, and boot into, in, into that state. This, uh, uh, on, on your right, the image illustrates that. This is, it's, uh, it's from a uh, development uh, environment. Uh, but, uh, or a load testing environment. But the green, green line indicates the sort of load factor that we calculate, and the yellow is the, is, is the number of instances and, and, and how they go, go up and down. On the, on the database side, as I mentioned, the scaling comes down to sharding. And, and by sharding here, uh, I mean sharding in a, in a technical sense. A shard for us, is a set of, is a database instance, uh, master and two slaves. Uh, it's not some gaming companies, uh, when they talk about sharding, they mean that, oh, there's a, there's a shard of the game for the US market, or there's a shard of the game for the Chinese market. So I'm not talking about that. About that. This is a sort of a strictly technical, uh, technical term that, or in, in a technical sense that we, when we talk about sharding. And, and so, so each of those shards is, a, is an instance of, the, of, of a MySQL database. The schema on all of them is, is the same, but the data is different. So as new accounts are pre being created into the cluster, we add new shards. And the new accounts are created there. Uh, the balancing of, of load happens by controlling where new accounts are created. So as new shards come online, we sort of skew the weights uh, of, of the new account creation towards those uh, shards. So more accounts are created there and less on the older ones. Uh, and the existing accounts, they stay where they are. So they are not moved uh, between the shards. And this happens, so this is not uh, automated. It's something that we, we monitor, and, and if we need to do, we do manually. And as I mentioned, the shards don't affect the gameplay. So everybody can play with anybody. The games are global in that sense. The, the, the one part of sort of failure recovery that we haven't sort of tackled yet is, is the MySQL master node failure, which still breaks the game for people on that shard. So the accounts, the alliances, the wars that are stored on that accounts. And these are failures that we still have to uh, handle manually. 
but as I mentioned, for Ballstars, uh, we, are, we are using Amazon Aurora, and, and we've actually uh, seen some pretty good results with the auto recovery uh, of, of, uh, of Aurora there. And, and we are uh, looking at, at, at migrating some of the, the current games to, to Aurora as well in the future. So that's, that's uh, about the gaming part. Then uh, let's take a look at analytics. So again, a, a quick uh, sort of overview on how we think about analytics at Supercell and or, or data, and and it sort of comes to, comes comes to the comes down to these points. And I, I don't believe that, or we don't believe that analytics by themselves uh, can make a hit game, but they can improve it. So in that sense, we are not a uh, data. Uh, in uh, driven culture, in the, but uh, I prefer the term data informed. Uh, we also have a full transparency with regards to data inside the companies, and the data scientists, as I mentioned, are embedded with the teams. So there's no separate data science function as such, that uh, but the data scientists for Clash Royale sits with the Clash Royale team. The data scientists for, for Clash of Clans sits with the Clash of Clans team. Uh, in, in general, so uh, for, with regards to scale, we receive something like five terabytes of data per day, and that five terabytes of data contains something like 15 billion atomic rows or, or, or events. Uh, the total size of our data warehouse is somewhere around five, four or five petabytes. And those events, uh, they're, they're just very simple blobs of data uh, which actually don't contain uh, excuse me, the, uh, that much context. So they require uh, further processing. The, the data volumes actually used to be something like double, but we pruned the rest of the relevant data and, and, and used some sampling uh, there. But so actually, I, we, when it comes to, the, I, I, I think the same goes for gaming, uh, but uh, also for analytics. So, so I don't actually believe that there's one right answer uh, for all, so that, oh yeah, this is how you should do an analytics uh, pipeline or data warehouse on AWS. So, so it, it all depends on your scale and your needs. And, and so that's why actually I, I, I sort of wanted to tell you the, our analytics story. Uh, and, and hopefully that'll, be, uh, that'll, that'll sort of inform you as you make your choices. So this is the rough timeline, but I'll, 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 and we'll start first on the top part, with, uh, which, is, uh, which is the data pipeline side. But before we go there, this is, uh, this is actually where we started. Uh, originally, we didn't have a, a data, quote unquote, data warehouse at all. We just queried the game databases, and that's it. Uh, but uh, it, it, as the games uh, evolved, and they, 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 of course, the game databases are a little different. The schemas are a little different. So we thought, like, okay, hey, let's we need to pull this thing together. And, and the first thing we did what, was, like, okay, yeah, let's uh, install ClickView, uh, load the data in there, and uh, do, do some processing, and that's it. And, and yeah, that, that, that works. Uh, it's, it, it's super simple. Uh, but it suffers from uh, from a couple of drawbacks. And uh, first of all, Click uh, ClickView is a, is a is a Windows software, so it's not it's a little uh, not uh, not as nice to host. It also has its own sort of uh, 
funky syntax that you have to use, so it's sort of not your ANSYC equal that you use there. It's, it's, uh, it's somewhat slow. The process is, of course, also a pretty slow, because only, and, and, and you see only the, the database state. So whatever is in the database, at the time that you loaded it in, that's what you see. And the data is locked inside ClickView. Uh, so it's not the ideal solution, and the games were growing, so, so we needed a, a, a better pipeline and a data warehouse. And, and, and I'll talk about the pipeline part first. And uh, the first, so the first thing we did was like, okay, so we, we only see the game, data, game database state, so let's add events. Whenever something interesting happens in the game, let's send an event and, and collect that. Uh, and we started from the client side. Uh, so the events are sent uh, via HTTP to a, to a collector cluster, simplified here, of course, also. There's a sort of a, a, a collector process uh, that uh, receives the data, stores it locally, uh, then uh, batches it up and writes to S3. Uh, and it, it took a little, little engineering effort to, uh, to get all this receiving and processing done because the scale at the time uh, when we started, when we only had these client-side events was pretty large, something like uh, 10 terabytes a day and, and 60, 60 billion events. But the main, main problem actually with this approach was that it suffered from poor quality. So we wanted to, we didn't want, so we wanted to get rid of the integrations with the game databases. We wanted to calculate all our KPIs from the event data, uh, but the quality really wasn't there. So we were lose, there was duplication, we were losing data. And we, we wanted to achieve sort of the one promil accuracy, which, which we, which we uh, weren't able to hit with this solution. So then we decided that, okay, we can't trust the clients, so let's send the events from the server. Uh, and we added a, a server event layer. And there, here, actually, we also uh, changed the protocol. So we changed, uh, we started using UDP, uh, which, is, which we did because we were a little bit afraid of the impact that uh, this would have on our game servers, and we wanted to minimize that. So we went with UDP. Uh, I think now it could be it could be TCP or something a, a stateful protocol as well. But at the, uh, this was the solution at the time, and it's actually stick around. So this is a this is something that has uh, has stuck around. Uh, still, still the sending uh, goes through UDP, and with this approach, we we got the, the sort of accuracy that we needed, we wanted, as long as the the, the sending and the receiving happens in the same region. Uh, so we were happy happy with that. And uh, so there's this, this sort of event pipeline, as we call it uh, at the time, uh, it, it's again super simple. We gather much more details about just, uh, not just uh, about the accounts, not just the database changes, but uh, there's still something missing. So, so we don't have real-time access to the data. Uh, the data is in the pipeline until it magically appears in S3. Also, if, the, if, if there's a failure, the data lives in local disk for a while, so there's a risk of losing the data. And the only way to consume that data is by reading S3. So uh, we, we, Amazon at the time, uh, like late 2013, uh, started te testing uh, Kinesis in beta, and, 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 and we, we took that into use pretty early and added that as sort of a buffer layer uh, between the receiving and, and then, the, uh, then the storing. 
and we, we kept sort of the store and forward layer of the collectors for, for uh, control and extra redundancy and, and a little bit of enrichment and, and validation that happens there. And the reason we, why we chose Kinesis instead of Kafka, for example, which is uh, another very popular streaming data solution is that it minimizes the, the operations and, and maintenance that we have to do. It's basically you go to the uh, go, go to the AWS console and click click, you get a stream and you don't you don't have to do anything. It's super nice uh, and and it gives us sort of 80% uh, of what we need with with no ops. And I'll, I'll come to 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 what the missing 20% is uh, a bit later. But anyway, so the data goes. Uh, in between uh, goes, goes to Kinesis, and from Kinesis it's, it's read out uh, and written this time in, in, in LZO uh, into Amazon S3, uh, very similar to before. But uh, the key thing that Kinesis adds here is uh, real-time access, streaming access to the data, and this actually unlocked uh, a lot of new use cases. So we use this access real-time access to the data to update search indexes, do real-time analytics, integrate real-time with um, uh, ad vendors, for example, and, and, and do a bunch of support use cases. Uh, so, and, and all of this we sort of call the, roughly speaking, the streaming pipeline. And the benefits are, 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 are pretty nice. So the data is safe from local failures. There's a lot of redundancy in Kinesis and, uh, on, and AWS takes care of that for us. We also get real-time access to the data and multiple ways of consuming data. So not just reading big files from S3, but also uh, the, the streaming aspect. Our, our Kinesis setup is, is, is roughly this. There's two main streams. There's a stream for client events and a stream for server events. And, and these streams contain all kinds of data, so all, all types of, of, of events. Uh, so, so logins, transactions, uh, battles, all kinds. Uh, the data, so, so Kinesis uh, provide, gives you uh, sort of a couple of guarantees, like at least one semantics for your events and, and ordering as long as you use the same partition key. But actually, we don't do that. So we use a random partition key when we write the data into Kinesis, and we, of course, lose the ordering. But what we gain is the uniform load between the Kinesis shards. So again, the term shard here this time, it means, uh, it means uh, a Kinesis shard. Uh, so that's a unit of scaling that Kinesis uses. And, and uh, the ordering is actually not a sort of losing the ordering so that the, the, the events can come in a little bit uh, in, in different order is, is, is not that bad for, for data warehousing and analytics when you do a lot of, when you do sort of batch processing. But it, it does complicate a little bit the, the situation uh, in the real-time world, in the real-time applications. But, but we still, we've still uh, taken this sort of a, a trade-off here. And uh, we use the, the KCL, the Kinesis client library, of course, to consume, consume the streams. It's actually uh, non-trivial to consume the, the, the a Kinesis stream, but the KCL makes it a lot, lot easier. And, and this is the, so this is the 20% the that we still feel that is missing from Kinesis. And, 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 and our challenge here is that 
The mainstreams are, are quite large. They're not huge, but they're, they're relatively large. So some hundreds of shards, quite a lot of data going through, and they contain multiple types of events. But not all clients are interested in all of those events. Somebody, this application only wants the transactions. This application is only interested in uh, player name changes or something like that. And, and they have to now, now from, uh, from uh, the vanilla kinesis, they have to read everything in. So what we've done in between is sort of a, a, a kinesis application that dispatches, splits this mainstream into application-specific streams, uh, which we have, I think, in total something like 50 different streams. And, and these streams contain only the, a subset of the events, so only the events that that application is interested in. And, and, and that's, uh, that sort of completes the picture. That's basically where we are with regards to the data pipeline at the moment. And so let's, let's take a look at the, the data warehousing side. And as I mentioned, we started with ClickView. Uh, had, had a little bit of, uh, little bit of uh, trouble there, and, and our first iteration was to, uh, was to just, okay, let's, let's get rid of that, and let's uh, use a, a, a distributed or, or a clustered columnar database. Just put everything there, do the LTL there, and, and that's it. So we chose Vertica, <coughs> and, and, uh, uh, and added uh, Askaban, it's a, so Askaban is one of those workflow managers. It's created by LinkedIn, but similar to Airflow. Uh, so it, it uh, orchestrates the ETL process, or the, the process. It loads data from S3 into Vertica, uh, and then the ETL happens inside Vertica uh, using SQL. And everybody just queries the dashboards, the data scientists, query, query database, uh, query Vertica with SQL. And, and this is uh, this is uh, this is a pretty nice setup because you get a you get a single source of truth. All the data lives in Vertica. It's easy to query with SQL, and and this this worked well for us for or for for roughly the sort of terabyte to to uh, to tens of billions of rows uh, of data. But there are a couple of challenges with with this approach and and and. I think the, the, the first one is, of course, that you get a lot of, you get a sp spiky load on your cluster. When your cluster is doing the ETL, it's running super red hot. When it's not, it's idling. And when it's running the ETL, the querying is really slow. Uh, so it's not really optimal uh, usage uh, for, for the database. Also. Vertica is, is, is not, as they say, sort of cloud-native. So it's, it, it is, it, it, we do run it on AWS, but it, it takes a little bit of effort to, to scale up and down. And, and we, we've done it a couple of times, but, but sort of have refrained from doing it uh, nowadays. Because again, we, the teams are so small that we, we don't really have a, uh, the resources to dedicate people in maintaining. Uh, or, or scaling the, the vertical, and, and also, also uh, storage and, and compute are tied together. So if you need more storage, you need uh, you, you're 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 gonna uh, increase your compute power, and if you need more compute power, you're gonna increase your storage as well. And and as the the incoming data was growing, even a columnar database cluster like Vertica does have its limits. So 
So we, we, we started thinking like, okay, so what is the, what, how could we sort of uh, fix these issues? And our goal was to sort of limit the amount of data in Vertica. We didn't want, we had scaled it, I think, uh, two times already. We didn't want to do the third one, again, doubling the size of the cluster. We also wanted to separate compute from storage. So if we need more compute power, that's fine. Uh, uh, that's fine. And if we need more storage, that's, that could be a separate issue. And we wanted to separate the ETL processing from the querying processing, but maintain the single source of truth and utilize the flexibility of the cloud to get rid of that spiky load problem. And sort of this, this is the plan that we came up with. So instead of Vertica, use Amazon S3 as the single source of truth, write the data and store it there as Parquet, and use Amazon EMR for ETL, not Vertica, and only store the results in Vertica, so the accounts, the aggregates, and the KPIs, not the raw data. And this is roughly how it looks like. So again, Azkaban uh, controls the ETL process, but this time the heavy, load, uh, heavy uh, lifting is done by, in, in Amazon EMR, by uh, Spark and Spark SQL. The data is read and written back to S3 uh, in, in Parquet, uh, or, uh, so that the final format is in Parquet, and S3 is the single source of truth. It contains all the data, the raw, the atomic, the aggregate, and the KPI level of data. Then only the aggregates and KPIs are copied to Vertica for easier access, and the atomic data uh, only lives in S3. Then during the ETL process, we also populate uh, the Glue data catalog with, this, uh, with the new partitions as they come in, and that allows us to uh, use Athena uh, to, to query the data, uh, and also Amazon EMR. And then uh, the, the querying happens through all of these three options. So uh, data scientists may be using EMR, then dashboards, BI tools connecting to, to Vertica, uh, ad hoc queries running in Athena. And this gives us easy SQL-like visibility to all the data, both for data scientists and regular users. And, and Athena is there in the middle, and it's actually it's, it's, it's a really nice service. Uh, for, for, for your ad hoc queries, but it, it, it actually is not, I wouldn't use that for your sort of day-to-day -day BI dashboarding needs. It, it still is limited, it has some concurrency issues, and also it struggles, it's based on Presto, uh, and, and that struggles with the schema evolution of complex data types, so it's, it's a little bit limited, so we, that's why we've kept Vertica there as the main uh, sort of uh, querying, querying uh, database, uh, but uh, Athena is, is super nice for your sort of ad hoc queries that you that you need to do. And and this this approach gave us uh, some 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 nice benefits. So again, now now we've separated out compute and storage. So storage is in S3, compute on EMR. Uh, so we don't use HDFS there. So, so, so the, uh, if, we need, if the data grows, if the workloads become more complex, we can, just, we can scale uh, the, the EMR clusters. Also, Amazon EMR scales out to super large data sets, so we haven't, we haven't had a problem with that. And we can use 
dedicated and transient clusters for the ETL workloads. So when the ETL process is running, we spawn a cluster, and when the ETL job is done, we tear it down. Uh, so no need to run idle clusters uh, anymore. And uh, as an extra point of benefit, uh, EMR is a, is, is a in familiar environment uh, for our data scientist. There's, a, there's sort of a couple of, a couple of tips that uh, also with regards to EMR that it's, it, if you're doing, if you're not using HDFS but you're using S3, uh, you, you might sort of run into this sort of eventual consistency problem with S3. So if you have one, one job that writes data to S3 and then the next one wants to read that, it might not see it. Even though the data is there, but it might not see it. So there's, a, there's sort of a workaround. I, I, yeah, I'm, I almost said hack, but the workaround that AWS has done with this sort of consistent view feature that uses DynamoDB to keep track of what files are where, which sort of helps you work around this, but it's, it's, it's not the ideal solution, but does, does help you with that. Uh, we've also done a, a little bit of customization on the AMI uh, that we use for fast, to get faster startups for the, for the clusters and, and all of that. So, so that sort of completes the picture also from the data warehouse side. So we've gone from game databases to, to click view to Vertica uh, to S3. And, and okay, so, so, so what, what have we learned? Uh, I think for, for scaling and failure recovery, as I mentioned, I do think that uh, scaling is, is determined mostly by your architecture. Uh, the technology, the architecture, uh, the, the algorithms that you use, they are important. But, uh, but, but it's mostly about your architecture. And also, you don't need super fancy tech to scale. You can just, fo by focusing on the fundamentals, you can get far. So our stack is actually super simple. It's MySQL plus Java plus Zookeeper on EC2. And we run a game cluster of thousands of machines with that. Uh, microservices and DB sharding, database sharding, also gets you far uh, with regards to scaling, but of course it doesn't, it's not free. Uh, so uh, microservices bring with them their own benefits, but also their costs. So you need to think about uh, uh, retrying your requests, uh, logging, debugging, all of that becomes uh, more difficult. And uh, but uh, it, 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 it does break the application into sort of more scalable units, for sure. And, and a third thing is, 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 of course, that that it's the cloud, so assume that things fail and, and take that into account. It's, it's, again, that's, it's, it's sort of a basic thing you can do, and it gives you a lot of benefit for, for your, for, as you go forward. And it also makes your infrastructure a lot easier to update. For, for analytics, I think separating your compute and storage, storage is, is, is key. So it makes scaling a lot easier. In, it unlocks a lot of new use cases, especially with regards to real-time access to the data. And also, everything be, be, starts with, with, I believe, with, uh, with the fundamentals. So reliable and scalable data is, is is what you, what, what you should do first. 
then think about the higher level use cases, so machine learning, BI tools, dashboards, and all of that. Those are important, but all of those rely on good data, so start with that. And, and schema. So we actually, as you noticed, know, there, there wasn't a big lot of mention about schema in those slides, and, and we actually don't have a really good solution uh, or, or for that, so how to, how to de define uh, your schema. Uh, so we've shied away from automatic schema discovery because of the complications involved there, but you still need the schema in a lot of places. So, so take that into, into, into account. And also, finally, uh, don't, don't have a data police. So and what I mean by that is a single place uh, that needs to uh, sort of through which your data requests needs to go through. So we actually started with that. Like, so we had a definition of what the events are, and there was a, a single library that contained all of that. And, but it that quickly became the bottleneck. So the way you get the most benefit out of your data is to make it super easy to produce and consume it. So uh, just make it simple for people to, uh, to, uh, to access and, and create data. And then for the culture part, I, I, I actually do believe that, that the, the best thing about Supercell are the independent teams. So you can get a lot done with small and independent teams. There's much less need for processes and bureaucracy and, and politics and all of that when the teams are small. And also, I think the proof is in the pudding that you don't need a large centralized engineering team to run uh, global games. But in this, at the same time, I, I actually also believe that the, the most challenging part about Supercell are the independent teams. So that, there, there's a lot of benefit, but there's also, with that uh, sort of degree of agility, there's a bunch of chaos that's created uh, when there's less centralized control. And a particular challenge here are things that fall sort of in between uh, the teams. So GDPR, for example. So that's a, that's, that is a sort of thing that concerns everybody, but it's not really any game teams or, or another team's sort of responsibility. So how do you handle that in a, in, in a setup like this? So, th so there, are, uh, there are some challenges as well. But I do believe that the benefits far, far outweigh the costs. So the speed, the impact, the sort of empowerment you, the, the developers feel uh, is, is much greater than, than, than the costs. And that's it. Thank you. So, so my name is, was and is Heike Verta. You can find me here for questions and answers. And the slides and the video will be available at SlideShare and YouTube. And please do feel uh, free to uh, complete the session survey. Uh, thanks a lot. <laughs>